0: Well, you know, even though it, we are in the middle of an Ohio winter, it's a great day to be alive and know Jesus. Amen? It's a great day to love Jesus. I hope that you love Jesus today, because as you know and love Jesus, you're going to know why you're here. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know why you exist. Jesus is the reason we're here. He is life. Amen? You know, I, I pray often for you, my New Life family. I pray for you that you might have life in Jesus. I pray that you know Jesus and you love him with all your heart. And I'm confident he's doing that in our midst. And you know, that was a a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the believers in Philippi. In chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul wrote, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He wanted their love for Jesus and their love for one another to abound, to to keep growing without limit. He wanted them to know and live the truth. And that's what I pray for you. I pray that you would know and live the truth. And what is the truth this morning? Listen very careful. Here's the truth. The truth is that we are loved by a real and personal and limitless God who took on the body of flesh, died on a cross in our place, rose from the dead three days later. Amen. So that all who receive and believe him might have life. Jesus came to give us life. Spiritual life and physical life here on this earth today, yes, and then eternal life with him, in the ages to come that is the message of the gospel and no matter who you are here this morning listen to me very carefully you might be a longtime believer you might be brand new in your faith you might still be on a journey seeking the truth about jesus christ let me assure you on something right now jesus loves you right here today he loves you don't you just love jesus Don't you just find sometimes that you're just consumed with Him? You know, maybe as I'm saying those questions, it might be hard to identify with those because the cares of this world or or the plans of your life might be distracting you just a bit this morning. Maybe your drive-in this morning is still distracting you. I don't know. But at times, it's hard to be consumed with Christ. And so we might ask, what does it look like to be consumed with Christ? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning being consumed with Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul was a man consumed with Christ. I think Paul provides us a great example of of what that really means. And I think he's great motivation to encourage us to be consumed with Jesus. As we talk about Paul's love for Christ today, I want you to put yourself in that place and think about my love for Christ today. Because as we continue our journey through the book of Philippians, nowhere is Paul's sincere devotion and his desire and his love for Jesus Christ more evident than in this short four-chapter little book. Clearly, there are several themes that run through the book of Philippians. Paul talks about joy. He he begins in chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4. You're going to see him talking about joy. And Paul says that when we know Jesus Christ, that we can live in joy through every circumstance. It is joy. Paul also talks about unity, the idea that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are born into a family, a family called the church. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and his desire is that we would love him and know him and be unified in love with one another. Another great theme in the book of Philippians is the day of the Lord. Paul, very elegantly points us to that day when Jesus Christ is going to wrap all the pages of history up into one final event horizon, drawing all men to the throne of God, that day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ, amen, Amen, is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Yeah, there's lots of themes run through Philippians, but the thread that I think ties all those themes together is Paul's sincere love for Jesus Christ. Paul wanted the Philippians to be in love with Jesus, to be consumed with Jesus, and that's why he wrote to them. You know, the believers in Philippi, they were surviving in this Roman colony that was devoted to the worship of Caesar. And Paul knew that their faith in Christ would bring them severe persecution, and so he wanted to focus their attention on. On the one true God and it wasn't Caesar on the one true purpose for living and it wasn't to be a member of the Roman citizenship he wanted to focus their thoughts in a laser-pointed way to the one highest and best and greatest thought a human being could ever conceive he wanted them to be consumed with Jesus He didn't want them to know about Jesus or to have some great spiritual thoughts in his direction or think he was a real nice guy and had some great things to say. He wanted them to know Jesus. Do you know Jesus this morning? I hope so. Because Paul was a man totally consumed with love for Christ. In these four chapters, he uses the word Christ 40 times. Philippians is all about Jesus. No matter the other themes, it is a personal, warm, heartfelt conversation about Jesus. We're going to see that in the passage we're discussing today. Pull your uh, sermon notes out of your worship guide and follow along as I read this passage. We're going to begin in Philippians chapter 1 verse 19. Paul writes, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for all your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you, Or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw ahead, and now here that I still have. Now, there's a lot of gospel truth packed in these words, and this is a very long passage. And we're not going to get to most of it today in our short time together. So what I want to do, rather than go verse by verse, is I just want to attract your attention specifically to one very important thing, Paul's love for Jesus Christ. And we'll divide this passage into two sections. Verses 19 to 26, we want to think about Paul living his gospel identity. Verses 27 to 30, we want to think about Paul living a gospel mission. And so first, let's think about Paul's identity in verses 19 to 26. You know, these verses are a continuation of what Pastor Steve shared with us last week, as this is merely part of a longer paragraph that begins at verse 12. Pastor Steve covered verses 12 to 18. And so when we think about what Paul believed about himself regarding who he was in Christ, his gospel identity, I think it's easy to understand why Paul was so consumed with Jesus. Why was Paul consumed with Christ? Well, I think first and foremost, it's because Jesus is so easily consumed with. He's so easily to be consumed with. He's so easily to focus on. Jesus is the definition of love. Jesus is the picture of grace. He's the glorious, amazing creator, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. We could use all the adjectives, all the superlatives, all the descriptions from every language of the world to describe our glorious Jesus, and we would just scratch the surface. He is our highest. He is our greatest. He is our best thought. Stop and think about him right now. Don't you just love Jesus? Because Jesus is who he is. Paul was consumed with him, and we can be consumed with him. And truly, there's nothing else that should consume us as much. But even so, it's often easy for us to be distracted by so many other things, isn't it? Paul clearly could have been distracted by a variety of other things but he identified himself as a man consumed with Jesus. I think we can better understand this as we hear Paul describe his circumstances. You know Paul was a living real guy in real and difficult circumstances. His story is true. The Bible is accurate and he's writing to these Philippians because he knows they were concerned about him. And so as he describes this situation we see his love devotion to Jesus he's talking about his situation through the past and the present and the future in the past he says this is what has happened to me in verse 12 he begins what has happened to me and then he looks at his present and he says Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice verse 12 Paul begins with these words what has happened to me and what had happened to Paul, Well, you know, Steve shared that with us in detail last week about Paul's situation in prison. Put yourself in Paul's place. Think about what, what we learned about Paul. He was chained 24 hours a day, 7 days a week to Roman soldiers. They, they, they took turns, I'm sure, in, in shifts. And, Paul, and Steve shared with us that Paul's chain was about 18 inches long. So think about that. Think about that circumstance. Here he is chained with a guy 18 inches away from him, 24 hours a day, with no privacy. No privacy to eat your lunch, no privacy to go to the bathroom, no privacy to sleep, no privacy to talk to your friends, I mean, that would have to wear on your very last nerve, wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't that really get on your nerves pretty quick? I mean, parents, you think your kids get on your nerves? Wives, you think your husbands get on your nerves? trust me this would clearly wear on you what was paul's reaction paul said i am rejoicing he was rejoicing that his imprisonment was being used by god to spread the gospel more fervently than it had ever been spread in verse 18 he says what then only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is proclaimed in that i rejoice Yes, and I will rejoice. Christ was being proclaimed inside and outside the palace. I mean, first, Paul was sitting there as a prisoner of Rome, sharing the gospel with every Roman soldier that was chained to him. These guys were getting saved left or right. It says the spread of the gospel had even gone to the house of Caesar. And then outside the walls, Paul's imprisonment was inspiring igniting a flame of boldness in the believers and they were spreading the gospel everywhere and paul was consumed such by jesus that his imprisonment thrilled him that it was causing the gospel to be preached more clearly more fervently more completely paul was rejoicing so here's paul the the possibility looming that he could be executed and what do you think was on his mind Well, you know, I suspect he probably at times thought about how he had been beaten for Jesus, how he had been imprisoned for Jesus, how he'd suffered the elements of hunger and heat and cold and sickness, how he had been shipwrecked for Jesus. Don't you think it would have been easy for Paul to just sink into hopelessness and depression, anger? I mean, his reaction could have been, Something like this. Jesus, man, you know I've done all this for you. I gave up my job, my comfortable life, my money, my status. I have been out promoting your cause everywhere. And look what it's gotten me. Nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble. Nobody loves me. I'm all on my own. God, you don't care about me. Nobody else has suffered the way I suffer. It's just not fair. I'm done. I'm finished. Paul could have very easily reacted that way. And I think we'd understand that reaction. Because sometimes we react that way, don't we? I mean, things happen in our lives every day, and I dare say none of us in this room have suffered trials to the extent that the Apostle Paul suffered. Yet, it's so easy for us to complain and get discouraged. I mean, think about it. Stop right now and think about a time, current situation or something that's happened recently that didn't go your way. Some trouble, and how did you respond? Did you... Say you were trusting your identity as a child of God and respond in the way Paul responded or did you respond in some other way? You know, Paul knew Jesus and Paul loved Jesus and Paul trusted Jesus. Paul realized his identity wasn't defined by the trouble he was in or by the world. His identity was defined by the one who created the world. And the joy of the Spirit He writes about in Galatians, the joy, the fruits of the Spirit were so overwhelming in him, so growing out of him that the joy was just a natural reaction to Paul. This was not even a problem for him. He didn't even think about complaining. Remember what he said in verse 6. He says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul looked at his past trouble and he looked at his present circumstance and he knew his father was working a perfect plan of salvation in and through him. He knew he was a child of God and he was completely confident that his father was in control and he didn't fear the results. No fear. You know, we can look at our troubles the same way. I look around this room and I know that We all have stuff going on in our lives. Every one of us has a story to tell. I know many of your stories, and I know where you are. And let me tell you, we have a choice on how we're going to react to the stuff. We can complain and feel hopeless, or we can rejoice because we know Jesus, the one who loves us and is working his plan in and through us. We can live and respond in joy. It's easy to understand, though, I think, Why Paul was so consumed with Jesus when we remember who Paul was. I mean, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And before he met Jesus, he was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish leader so devoted to the law of God, so consumed by the zeal of God, so entrenched in that religious dogma that his job was as an executioner. Paul traveled the countryside hunting for Christians who were proclaiming Jesus Christ to be the only way, and he was killing them. Paul was a committed man. That was pretty strong commitment, right? To, make, to commit cold blood murder for the cause of God. Paul was a prisoner to anger, prisoner to racial justice injustice, prisoner to pride, prisoner to legalism. But one day on another road, to a killing, Paul met Jesus, and for the first time in his life, he was set free. He met life on the road to death. He met love on the road to hate. He met heaven on the road to hell, and Jesus changed his life. As a Pharisee, Paul had all the Old Testament scripture memorized. Think about that. At least the Torah, all the first five books of the Old Testament, he had memorized in his head. He could spout it off. He knew god but he didn't know god one day paul knew the truth in his head he met truth face to face on the road to damascus and all that information was unlocked out of his head and went straight to his heart and gripped his heart for the first time in his life paul was set free he met jesus face to face and it changed his life have you met jesus face to face this morning has he changed your life And now here Paul sits facing death. Do you know that when you face death it really doesn't make Jesus any more beautiful and desirable because he already is? And it doesn't make Jesus any more important because he's already the pinnacle of importance in the the universe? But it sure clarifies what's really important. Suddenly all the distractions go away and evaporate. Paul had devoted his life to this glorious Jesus whom he loved. And now here he was bound looking at possibly being executed. And everything became very clear. Paul was consumed with Jesus. He had... Complete confidence and faith in Jesus. Paul could look at his past and he could remember how faithful Jesus had been to him. So in his present circumstance, he said, you know what? This is working out great. I am rejoicing because the gospel is being proclaimed. Because Jesus, the one I love, is being held high. His fame is being spread everywhere. It makes me very happy. And so as Paul relates his past and present circumstance, he looks into his future. And here's what Paul says about his future. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Think about that perspective. Paul sums up everything he's talking about in this whole chapter with these powerful words. This is the capstone of this passage. These words shake the very foundations of hell. These words have emboldened the church throughout centuries of persecution. Paul didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, he really had no clue how it was all going to work out. He says something in verse 19 that might make us think he knew for sure he was going to be released. I mean, look at verse 19 there. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul says, this is my deliverance. And as though it sounds like he's talking about getting out of prison, the word for deliverance is better translated salvation. That's why Paul says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul knew that no matter what, if he were to be released or if he were to be executed, Jesus, the one he loved, would receive the glory. He would be delivered. Let's think about the possible outcomes. If he were released from prison, God would be praised for Paul's deliverance, right? And Paul would would preach the gospel even more fervently, even more with more passion and fire than he'd ever preached. If Paul had been executed, he would have become a martyr for the gospel of Christ, and believers around that area would have begun to preach the gospel with more fervor, more vigor. They would just burn the house down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So either way, whether he lived or whether he died, it was a win-win for the kingdom of God. It was also a personal win-win for Paul. For he says, for me to live is Christ. In other words, if I live, it's because Jesus wants me to continue to preach the gospel to the lost and to encourage you Philippians in the gospel. But to die is gain. If I'm executed... I get to be with Jesus. And tell me, what's better than that? I mean, Paul lived to love and serve and commune with Jesus. You want to know the meaning of life? Life starts and ends with Jesus. Paul says, I am filled with Christ. I trust Christ. I love Christ. My hope is in Christ. I obey Christ. I preach Christ. I follow Christ. I fellowship with Christ. Jesus is my inspiration, Jesus is my direction. Jesus is my meaning. Jesus, he's my purpose. I'm totally consumed with him. If I live, I get to glorify Jesus even more. If I die, I get to be with Jesus. It just don't get any better than that. Right? I mean, how can you beat that? Well, let's bring this right home to where we live. On your sheet somewhere, I want you to Take that sheet and I want, to, I want you to write these words. For me to live is, and then leave a blank. Remove the word Christ and put a blank in there. Now I want you to think about what you would put in that blank. What are some things that are life to you? For me to live is. Let's think about what some things might be. What Some things we could replace the word Christ with. How about wealth and possessions? Let's see how that works out. If living is wealth and possessions, then dying is what? Loss. You can't take it with you, right? If living is status, then dying is loss. You lose it when you die. If living is fame, then dying is loss. Your fame evaporates. People forget about you. If living is power, then dying is loss. You don't have any power. You're gone. If we try to replace that blank with anything else other than other thought or idea, it just doesn't make sense. The only meaningful thing you can put in there is Christ. If you put anything else but Christ in there, the word has to be lost. For life to make sense, you have to put Jesus in that blank. Otherwise at the end of your days and we're all heading there your life will be just a memory decaying in the dust of time. The only thing that makes dying gain is Christ. Only Christ. Now you might say, Claude, well I have Christ in my blank. Well be careful. It's not Christ plus possessions. Christ plus wealth. Christ plus family. Christ plus fame. Paul says, listen, it's For me, living is Christ, not plus anything else. If it's living is Christ plus possessions, then dying is gain plus loss. But if living is just Christ, then dying is only gain. Paul looked at his future and said, living is Christ and dying is gain. He had no clue of what was to come. He had no idea what the results in his life would be. Do you know that there are things God doesn't share with us? Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things He's revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we might do the works of the law. God has a right to keep things from us, doesn't He? He doesn't tell us everything. And one thing He doesn't share with us is the future. He doesn't tell us where we're going to be. I don't know where I'm going to be an hour from now. I know what I have planned to do, but things might not work out that way. I might be here, I might be there, I might be in heaven with God. God doesn't share with us the future. Why? Because he wants us to trust in only him, not in our own power to manipulate the results in our life. And so here's Paul. Paul is a man consumed with Jesus. He's he's a man whose identity is in Christ, and that motivated his mission. Paul says, Through verses 27 to 30, Paul said, I don't know exactly what the results are going to be, but I'm in Christ. So I'm just going to do what I know to do, and I'm going to leave the results in his hands. He says, here's what I know to do. Verse 27, let your manner of life, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul says, because you're a child of God... Here's your mission. Live like it. Notice the first word there in that phrase, only. This is the bottom line in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Only let your manner. It's essential to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's what Paul saying. Paul says, I want your life and your behavior, Philippians, as a Christian community in a pagan culture, to be worthy of the gospel that you believe and proclaim." Paul called them, and I think he's calling us this morning, to rather than live as citizens of Rome or live as citizens of this world, to live for a higher citizenship. To live according to the values and the customs and the culture of a heavenly kingdom. Because we're called to live in a partnership with each other, to live as members of a spiritual kingdom, namely the church. The Bible makes it very clear that when you've believed and received Jesus Christ, that by his power, you're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. So new life, we're citizens of heaven this morning. We're a family of Christ, and he's left us here to share Jesus wherever we are, wherever you go, wherever you work, wherever you live, whenever you're with your family, he calls us to share the gospel with no fear because we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Before you're a citizen of America, before you're a member of a family, before you're a member of a political party, before you're an employee at your company, before you're all that and more, you're a citizen of heaven. And you have the only message of hope and truth in this world. And Paul says, stand firm Don't be afraid to share the gospel wherever you are. You know, when we're consumed with Jesus Christ, talking about Him is just like breathing. It just comes natural. You can spend time with somebody and very quickly, in just a few minutes, know where their heart is. Because what's on the inside will always come out. People consume with Jesus. You know what they talk about? Jesus. At some point, you're going to have that conversation. Paul calls us to spread the gospel that's what we're called to do every day that's why we as a church are excited and I'm excited about us launching a new multi-site campus in the city of Whitehall you know even if it does take a slight detour through Key Largo <laughs> just thinking about that we want to take his gospel and his fame and we want to spread it to another community where people need Jesus. People need Jesus everywhere. We're going to take the gospel to Whitehall, and we're praying right now for all of those people that are going to hear the gospel because you're involved in their community. Think about that. Through your prayers and through your financial support and through your direct involvement by attending that congregation or being involved in the ministry opportunities that are going to occur, we're going to spread the gospel, the fame of Jesus Christ, to the community of Whitehall let me wrap this up you know Paul knew his identity Paul said to live is Christ that's who I am and Paul knew his mission he said we need to live a life worthy of the gospel Paul was consumed with Jesus and you might be thinking yeah Claude well you know what that's great I appreciate that Paul was consumed with Jesus so what I'm not Paul you know I've got bills to pay I got a spouse to keep happy good luck with that I've got kids to raise. I've got a boss who's using me as a step on his ladder of success. I've got uh, a sick, terminal sickness or a serious sickness that I'm dealing with. I've got parents to care for. I've got schoolwork that is just driving me crazy. I'm just drowning in this world. How can I be consumed with Jesus when I've got all this stress? Well, that's just a point. I would suggest to you that Paul certainly had stress too. But in the midst of his trouble, he knew who he was. And that gave him joy. And his perspective was singularly focused on the truth. Paul was consumed with Jesus. And if you think about how much Jesus loves you, how much Jesus cares for you, how much Jesus is holding on to you, how much Jesus has saved you and and is involved in every minute of every day of your life, How can you not be consumed with Jesus? How can you just not love Jesus? I want you to commit to doing something for me this week. Would you do this? I'm going to hold you to it, okay? When you get home today, tomorrow, next time you're standing in front of a mirror, maybe you're in the bathroom brushing your teeth, hopefully you brush your teeth, I want you to look deep in your own eyes and ask yourself this question. What is it that truly defines me? Is Jesus the one who defines me? Can can you say with Paul to live as Christ? Ask yourself, what are the things that distract me that I need to let go of so that I can better focus on Jesus? What am I putting in that blank? To live is what? What is that for me? As I said that, I think God is bringing things to your mind. You know what that is. And I ask you, is there anything in life more precious than Jesus? Well, Claude, how do I focus my life on Jesus and become consumed with him? And you know, this might sound like a flip answer, but it's really the truth. I was trying to think of some really cool thing to tell you, and I just got to tell you the truth. Listen Kerry, carefully and trust me when I say, you want to be consumed with Jesus? Spend time with him. We talk about spending time with him. We plan to spend time with him, but we do. We make him a priority. Do you know that where you spend your time and where you spend your money is a real good indicator of what really consumes your heart? Why is it when we face death that things get so clear? Why can't we live with that expectation that we could face Jesus at any moment? And if that's true, and it is, Isn't he worth our time and attention? Paul knew Jesus. Paul was defined by Jesus. He was consumed with Jesus, on mission with Jesus, and it starts with knowing Jesus. Sometimes we fool ourselves and believe we know him, but we just know a lot of stuff about him. Do you know him today? I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about relationship. Do you recognize his voice? You can be saved and still not know Jesus. You cannot be consumed with Jesus. Let me encourage you. This next 50 days, we have that that devotional out there in the lobby. Pick up one of those devotionals. And for the next 50 days, commit that every day you're going to spend time with Jesus. No matter what's in your schedule, no matter what's going on, no matter how the kids are bouncing off the wall or the bills or all that stuff, you're going to spend time with Jesus. Now, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about this morning because you've never really met Jesus. Maybe you need to meet him today. Or maybe you need to reprioritize him in your life. You know, just a moment, some prayer partners are going to be up here. And when the music begins and they're up here, let me encourage you to come forward and pray. If God is drawing your heart to him this morning, if you need to meet Jesus for the first time, if you need to reprioritize Jesus in your life, come up and pray about anything that's on your heart. Paul was a man on mission to publicize that Jesus that consumed his love and devotion, and Paul found Jesus to be the only desirable treasure worth giving his life to and worth giving his life for. And So can you say with Paul this morning, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Jesus, we just thank you this morning. Lord, we love you. You are the highest, the greatest, the best thought we could ever think. You are so precious and adorable. We love how you love us, Lord. And so I pray as we leave this place today that we will truly ask ourselves those questions what is distracting us from you, Lord? What's in our blank, Lord? May you be glorified in us today, and may we be consumed with you in Jesus' name. Amen.